and I'll get my notes right here. How do you, is it, is it, is it Andre or Andre? Andre. Andre Brisson. Brisson. Okay, I don't know if I can, oh, but I'll try. Hello and welcome to Podiatry Practice Mastery. My name is Don Pelto. I have Andre Brisson. Did I say it right? You got her. <laughs> he is a, a friend of mine from something called Strategic Coach. We're both been in it together for uh, way too long. We're very slow learners uh, and we're spending a lot of money, but uh, it's been fun making friends. And he is actually an engineer by trade and an entrepreneur at heart and kind of does a podcast about ADHD and being an entrepreneur with that. Welcome, Andre. Thank you, Don. It's nice to be here. Nice to be back and chatting. So uh, what we're going to hopefully talk about here with, with people is, you know, how is it that an entrepreneur can be more effective uh, in their business? And you've kind of done that. You built a business, you sold it, and you started another one. And now you're kind of in a phase where you're trying to do what you really love. So kind of go back and, and say, how do, you, how do you get to doing what you really love? How did that go? Um, for me, it was a lot of it by accident. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I grew up being told I was going to be an engineer. Um, I mean, I got an analytical mind. I like to learn stuff. That was a big thing for me and then interested in math and science. So it, it was a natural progression into engineering, went through school, got into a job that, uh, we did a lot of random stuff, new stuff. And I was able to learn a lot and really try whatever I wanted to um, started my own company. Cause I didn't fit in there. They didn't want to grow uh, corporate company wise or personally. And I couldn't handle that. Um, I wanted to grow and try different stuff. So I went and started my own um, then had kids and then got into a bad partnership. Um, had to close that company, technically sold it to close it and then started a new engineering company. And then throughout that little turmoil piece was I was, I, actually diagnosed with ADHD severe and uh, a few years ago. And that really got me to questioning how I like to work and what I wanted to do. Like engineering is fun and all, but I'm at the point where there's not much more for it. And I kind of fell into this uh, thing about the passion of helping high on high achieving ADHD entrepreneurs grow like I did. And what I discovered over the 18 years of self-actualization and awareness. Yeah. Now, let me ask you about this whole whole thing. I think it's very similar to a lot of a lot of podiatrists even. I think a lot of us, we maybe you know, as I look back and, and do some soul surging, I think I went into medicine because my mom and my aunts they always said, you know, you're going to be a doctor, and I still remember that to this day. And they they almost shadow these uh, professions on you, and you just you know, I think a lot of us are second and third generation podiatrists. A lot of podiatrists might be, might be listening. And so we go into these professions and, but what you said, it was something simple or interesting, like you got to the max, but, and then you're like, you couldn't go anywhere else. Now, what excites yeah. you? Like, cause you could open 20 engineering practices. You could hire 50 engineers. You could start doing skyscrapers. Why in your mind, do you feel like you hit that ceiling of, did you just lose interest or did you, was it not earning enough? Yeah, no, it's, I think you're right. I got to a max and the max was, is I've learned as much as I want to learn and grow from engineering. I hit that peak. There's a lot more I can learn. You're right. I could open more. I can really branch out, but I just don't have much of an interest or a passion to do that. I want to do a little something more or more I guess for lack of a better term, a more purpose. 
Yeah. Um, you know, like the way I grew up, I grew up into the entrepreneur world, the adult life. It's always been a struggle and a challenge. And I was always uh, walking against the flow of the river or of a raging river. And now I don't have that flow anymore. I'm not walking against the flow. I, I understand what's going on and I'm in, you know, I'm out of the river. So a lot of it had to do with the passion is where uh, I think I hit the, the peak. I love the people who work for me and I want to help them grow. I still like to be around the engineering, but I got to do something more. And that's where I, I branched out into tactical breakthroughs and then running this podcast. Now, let, let's talk, you know, if, if, if very similar, successful engineer, a sex, successful podiatrist, because you have to have something producing revenue for you to do what you really enjoy and have passion. I, mm -hmm. if, if I ask everyone listening to this podcast, hey, do you want to just like not see patients and, and just do something that's passionate, like me doing my podcast? I can't do that all day. I don't, maybe I could take one day or a few hours. Like, are you totally out of engineering? Have you structured it so you don't have to do any engineering and you can do all this passion stuff? I'm on there. I'm probably at 80% of the way. And what it, what, what the, uh, the, the engineering company, Objective Engineering, is self-managing. So I can actually go for weeks away on holidays and not check in, and it'll keep going. Um, and in the way I did that is just having a lot of standard operating procedures, SOPs, set up this, the structure of the company and that things are being done the same way and everyone's on the same page. Um, so, And then I've also, what I've done is really stuck to I, well, we both know unique ability is a big key thing with strategic coach stuff you love to do and you got a full passion. You can do it forever. I'm sticking to those in the engineering field. And a lot of that has to do with coaching my team, helping them rearrange schedules when things hit a, hit a wall or come up with complex solutions. Well, come up with simple solutions to what people perceive as a complex problem and then dealing with customers at a higher end is where I'm at right now. So then that gave me more time to pursue my, my passion projects. How long did it take you to est establish that, that company that way? Like, cause you've been in coach for a, a lot of years. And I think a lot of us, we feel like the ceiling of complexity and that's a term we use in strategic coach, but like I'm humping it still. Like we have four doctors in the practice. I'm humping it like everyone else. And unfortunately, like my salary is based on production. And, right. uh, and I think that's how a lot. So if, if you're talking to a lot of us that are in a similar place, how do you go and do these other things? Or can you find it within the profession itself? Like you could focus on one area, maybe you like ingrown toenails or sports medicine, or yep. that's your passion and, and you do it. Cause if I did these podcasts all day, I'd be crazy. I'd be like, what am I going to do with all my time? I'd go, you know, berserk. Um, yeah. The thought left me. <laughs> oh, yeah. It um, basically the first go around, it took probably two years to get it self-managing. After even, you quit your old job, by the way, right? So you had to, you could, could you have done your self-managing where you were at before? No, no, no. Because I was it. I was the only person that can do it and do this stuff. And everyone was working, was helping me do that. But I had to do a mind shift set. Mindset shift is... I don't need to do it all. I just need people to help me deliver the product. And then once I realized my unique ability is not doing this stuff, it's just problem solving. That made it a lot easier and, and realize what I can get rid of. 
And then this time around here with objective here, I'd say is a couple of years, we got to self-managing, but it was me letting go was the biggest issue. A lot of it has to do with guilt, not doing anymore and, and whatnot, but just trying to stick to my unique ability and start saying no to your own staff more often. It's, it's, it's a tough habit to get into, but it's definitely, I'm getting better on it and it's a lot more rewarding and the team I'm finding are succeeding more because there's, you know, if, if you keep pulling them out of hot water all the time, then they don't learn how to deal with it or to prevent it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, you want to, like you said here on our little notes about stop doing things that are frustrating or energy sucking and do things that make you thrive. Now you talked about a couple of books here or learning resources, like people have never heard of Colby or strength finder. Talk about those a little bit and how that's kind of helped you. Oh, uh, the Colby K O L B E. They have what they call the uh, index a, which is, uh, the conative part of your mind, which is how you do things and solve problems. Um, and you're given four set, four numbers. One's about your fact finder, another's a follow through, quick start and implementer. And those four numbers will tell you there's 12 strengths areas in, in those four sets of numbers. And for me, I'm initiating fact finder. So I start by getting information while someone with a resisting or a lower number of fact finding don't need as much information. They just need the bullet points before they can go on to the next phase of the project. Um, For me, that was a very powerful tool because, you know, it, it confirmed and validated that this is how I work. And I always knew it. It's not the norm, uh, most, especially in engineering. Um, I, I'm not one for following rigid systems. I'm more random on how I like to attack uh, problems. Um, but that helped me communicate how I like to receive information and how I like to give it. And then when I, the, the, the biggest success of that was when I got my whole team, their Colby A's. And then we actually learned a lot about how they work and it actually improved communication. So if mm-hmm. I want to communicate to my implementers, engineering manager, I need to make things more real for him to pick it up quicker, more pictures. While someone on the other side is conceptual, we can have a a discussion. Um, But the Strengths Finder, the Gallup Strengths Finder 2.0, to me, that was an eye opener. That explained why I have 500 different hobbies. You know, um, my my top strength, you identified your top five strengths out of 34 themes. And my top one was learner. I just love to learn. You know, if I haven't learned anything in a while, it's the process of learning that I enjoy, not necessarily the topic. I'll just take like say a pottery class just to to do, to learn something new. Um, But once you identify those top five strengths, which I did with my team is you can help delegate and use your team members more effectively and efficiently by by using their strengths. Like my engineering manager, he's really good. One of his top strengths is harmony right? He always wants to make sure everyone's in harmony. So if I got problematic customers, I send him in because he can harmonize and just get everyone to get along. And he's got, that's his natural strength. And, and it's amazing to see it, how everyone works. And then you could also troubleshoot if they're not working within their strengths or sometimes your strengths overused or unmanaged is a weakness, right? Like the harmony one um, could be that you're trying to you're trying too hard to make sure everyone's getting together when sometimes you need to put your foot down or like my learner, I can spend way too much time learning about something and not really getting to something quickly. Wow. 
no, I, I think those are good resources uh, that people can can learn and see how they maybe can apply it. Because I think uh, our, our practices aren't different. I think the, the, the key is is having the courage to step out of the role as the the professional and in because basically you're doing more of an ownership role versus a uh and yeah. or a, not even a managerial role just as an owner and i think for a lot of us stepping out of that and and how everything is set up with within my partnership for example you know that's the frustration for me you know it's like i i'm based on production if my production mm-hmm. goes from a, a 800,000 or 900,000 to 600,000 you know that then then my but I think long-term getting more younger doctors up and running and busier, I think it could make, you could figure out a way of organizing it. Right. And that's the one thing I found out with time, you know, being an engineer, I need to see the numbers. But once I've realized for me, because engineering is no different, it's, you know, the more projects I get out on delivered, mm-hmm. it's production-based still. But when I realized that if I spend an hour with each member a day and they can get four or five of their projects on track quicker and we can save a lot of time. Like I figured out one time is uh, I think I can save up to six hours on a project just by spending half an hour with the project manager. Right. And that adds up. Yeah. So then when I start to realize if I spend X amount of time with each person and I'm available for them to solve their problems or help them direct them in the right direction, we save a lot of time. So that's where my value came in. And then they can be more efficient. And, and that's the strategy component. That's the thing that, yeah, that's your, your, your mm-hmm. unique ability. Um, let's talk a little bit about like when you found out you were like this ADHD, like, how, okay, first of all, you probably done the research. How many people are ADHD and don't even know about it? Are there a lot of us? Uh, yeah, there's quite a few. And a lot of them are in the adults. Um, I'd say the last five to eight years is when, uh, uh, five to 10 years, uh, adults are getting more, are getting diagnosed more and more. Um, I know if people are getting diagnosed at 70 and 80 years of age, um, cause when we were raised, it just wasn't, if you were smart and did well, you did not have ADHD and you just didn't try hard enough or you're lazy or you don't care. Um, so right now I think they th- believe 10% of the population is ADHD and half of those, that 10%, 5% know that they're ADHD or diagnosed. So it's about 5% of the population they figure are not diagnosed yet. Hmm. And, and so the, the idea of ADHD, explain a little bit and then explain like how you've done workarounds to, to okay. successfully live and be successful. Well, ADHD is a neuro neurological condition, which is your brain's wired differently. Um, than the neurotypical, like for one, the prefrontal cortex isn't as well developed or um, is underdeveloped in different parts of the brain. So you have um, some deficiencies or lack of a better word, you know, shortcomings of inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, uh, and what's not written or in the DSM is emotional dysregulation and executive function executive dysfunction. So executive, executive functioning is your brain's ability to set goals, achieve them, overcome procrastination and just get things done. And then the ADHD brain has challenges with that. And then also there's a dopamine influx intake uh, discrepancies too. So 
for me, hyper, I'm physically act, hyperactive, which is rare for adults. And impulsivity is a big one for me. And the executive function dysfunction, I realized since my diagnosis has been an issue, but a lot of the stuff I did to overcome that unknowingly is having a logbook with me all the time. If I take no, I'm always taking notes. If I talk to someone, everything's logged and written down. So my working memory is not overtaxed. So the, the working memory of an ADHD person versus a, a neurotypical is about half. So a neurotypical seven to 10 items of information can be stored in your mind and continue. That's why phone numbers are seven and 10 digits, easier to remember, but an ADHD brain is about half. So about four, five, six of the information you can keep in your head. So if I learn a seventh, then that first one's gone forever. That's why I started writing stuff down. And then we take more detailed notes. And uh, so I know where we were at next time I go see it again. You know, it's kind of interesting, kind of equating it to, to, to medicine or something like that. If you, if you injure your eyes mm-hmm. and you can't see, everything else becomes hyper, like your taste, your ears, your, your, your hearing, right. everything else improves around that. So where you have a deficit of ADHD, everything else is improved around it. So you, you may be very, you're incapacitated or have a difficulty with certain things, but everything else, like what has really benefited you because of the ADHD? Like, what are you a lot better at that more people just aren't good at? Well, the ADHD brain never stops. It just keeps going. Um, so the one thing is I, I, I come up with really random and unique solutions to problems people give up on. And the one thing that I know I can do is I can find solutions in the most unnatural or not unnatural, but in weird ways, like we can have, we can have a conversation about something and then all of a sudden I'll have a solution for the problem. It's not even related to it, but so just being able to see things for me, it's not seeing if things aren't there, I can see what things are missing mm-hmm. and that usually gets me going to solve a solution. So that's, that's the one thing about, about it. Um, you know, it's never ending and the engine never stops. So it's go, go, go. Um, but the thing is with ADHD, yes, it is. We, we do have these disorders or deficiencies, but they, if they're managed, we can flip them into our strengths, right? Yeah. yeah. Right? If I can stay, if I can manage my distractions, I can really have the ability to focus and to hyper-focus. If I can just like change my environment to have less distractions or, or whatnot, like for clutter, clutter really messes with my brain. So I got a clean desk and... Uh, so I, I really control the environment and then how we receive information and how we, I, I started to deal with people. But yeah. ever since I got the self, the, the diagnosis, I became more self-aware and that, that awareness was heightened and I was able to come up with all these solutions and, and systems and routines. Yeah. So t- we have we didn't address that. I want you to address the self-awareness and then your, your podcast, kind of how that, how that, tell me about self-awareness. Like, am I self-aware? Who is self-aware? How do you become self-aware? Well, for me, how I became self-aware was um, in part undiagnosed. I was, I've been doing everything wrong according to everyone. So I started to take a lot of self-help books uh, take a lot of assessments to identify my strengths. And, but on and what really happened is I figured out what I wasn't doing well normally to try and fix that. 
But after a while doing all that, I realized I wasn't doing much about anything. So then I start to just decide to what I do, the mirror check. I look in the mirror and say, if you're not good at this, then why? Or like for me, when my emotional dysregulation was firing on, you know, was out of control, I start to look, say, why does that situation spark you? Why does that set you off? Or why don't you like that? Or why do you like that? And I work backwards and I find the triggers. Um, but you got to be open and honest to yourself about that. Not just read and say, you know, I hope I want to be like this because that's the way everyone else is. It's not being self-aware. That's just trying to fit in. So it's just like, you know, maybe I'm not really good at this. Maybe I shouldn't spend as much time to perfect this weakness and let's work on my strengths that I'm really good at and build those and strengthen those. And if I can stay in that wheelhouse, man, it gets fun, gets fun quick. You know, I, I think you said something there that everyone could take away is I think within our professions, whether it be engineering, podiatry, medicine, we tend to all want to do what everyone else is doing. And you get to be really mediocre because frankly, there's a lot of other podiatrists that are much better than me. There's a lot of engineers that are much better than you, mm-hmm. but there are certain areas that we excel beyond anyone else. And a lot of times, since we don't want to set ourselves apart, or we even think it's easy, we think it's normal. Like there's nothing special in that. Like for me doing these podcasts, like talking about business ideas, like I do this weekly uh, update. It's super easy. It's fun. It excites me. And, and I'm, I'll do it the rest of my life for the, for the fun of it. And that's something I don't realize that other people have a hard time with stuff like that. So what you should try to figure out how to do is what you're really like try to do more of it. And that's where you got into this podcast. Tell me about this podcast. Is this something that gives you energy? Is something that you like? Are you, you know? Oh yeah. It gives me a lot of energy. I didn't realize how much it, it gives, but uh, yeah, I started the impulsive thinker podcast, which is for high achieving ADHD entrepreneurs. Um, and the goal is to share my experiences and, and share the successes of other ADHD entrepreneurs and they show and demonstrate that we do have challenges like any entrepreneur, there's a lot of challenges and stuff you got to take care of, but they can be overcome and still be successful and then discuss solutions and typical struggles and challenges that we all have and just have an open, true, real conversation about all this. And, and for me, it's to bring awareness about adult ADHD, especially in the entrepreneurial world. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you. I, I, we covered a lot. I think we'd like to do it again. I'll put a couple of links underneath here if they want to learn more uh, mm-hmm. about the Impulsive Thinker. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it, Andre. Thanks, Don. Always a pleasure.